and make his face shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father God, Lord, we pray this psalm, the truth of this psalm. Lord, I know how blessed we are, Lord, as Christians, as being saved by grace, Lord. Ephesians 1 says we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, Lord. We are so blessed. Not only are we blessed spiritually, Lord, but we are blessed physically as Americans, the richest nation that's ever been, the freest nation that has ever been, Lord. You have blessed us so much, Lord. I pray the truth of this psalm convicts our heart, Lord, that we are to go to the nations and proclaim your goodness. Be with us this morning, Lord, as we go over this psalm. In your son's name, amen. I believe one of the greatest books ever written on missions is called Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper. In fact, I just want to take a survey. If you've ever read that book, raise your hand really high. That's a good number of you. I didn't think there would be that many, to be honest. Uh, I'd love to see our church one day have at least 50 to 60% raise their hand when I uh, mention that song, psalm, or uh, title of that book uh, from John Piper. The title of that book comes from the psalm that we just read. I just want to read the opening paragraph of John Piper's book, Let the Nations Be Glad. It, it says this, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal in missions. It's a goal of missions because in missions, we simply aim to bring the nations into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the people's in the greatness of God. And again, look at verse 3. It says this, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and seen for joy. That's the title of that book, and this is where John Piper got it. Today, I, I want to talk about missions. It's a topic that's near and dear to my heart for a couple of reasons, and I have three points to my sermon this morning, and really I have three reasons why you, as a Christian should have a conviction and passion about missions. So let's go through, th uh, through these three reasons. The first reason is this. Simply, it is the commission given to the church. It is the commission given to the church. We're going to come back to Psalm 67, so put a bookmarker there. But if you would, if you have your scriptures with you, open to Matthew 28, verse 18. Matthew 28, verse 18. Again, I know most of us is familiar with this portion of Scripture, but let's take a look at it. Starting in verse 18, it says this. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. That's our commission. This commission was given from Jesus to the apostles and through the apostles to us, the church. That's our commissions. That's our calling as a church, Country Oaks, the local church, us. Therefore, at least we should understand this passage and have a good grasp of what Jesus was telling the apostles. So look at verse 19 again. It says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That phrase, of all nations, is actually very important. And the question I want to ask is, why did Jesus add that phrase, of all nations? The reason I ask this question is because the Great Commission would make complete and perfect sense without that phrase. Think about it. Listen to verse 19 again, without the phrase, of all nations. Go, therefore, and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's a complete sentence. That makes complete sense. But there's a qualifier in that sentence that says this, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Of all nations. That phrase is extremely important, and it's really filled with meaning from Scripture. I just want to look at this phrase this morning, of all nations. In Greek, and I've mentioned this many times from the pulpit, the Greek is panta ta ethne. We recognize one of those words, ethne. We get the word ethnic from. That's the word that's translated nations, of all nations, ethnic, ethne. I think nations probably isn't the best understanding of that word, ethne. Ethne really uh, communicates more like people groups. Not really nations, more like language groups is another phrase that's been used. What's the difference between a nation and a people group? Well, America is what? One nation. United States of America is one nation with hundreds and hundreds of people groups. In fact, there's uh, 500 and something, according to the Josiah uh, Project or Joshua Project. A biblical definition of ethne is an ethnic group that shares a common heart language as well as history, customs, family, or clan identity. That's a people group or a language group. When you hear the word nations in Scripture, you should always think people groups. That's a better understanding of that word that's translated nations. In this sermon from here on out, I would just ask you, when you hear the word nations, when I read that, think people groups. So why did Jesus add this phrase, pantai ta ethne? Right? Of all nations. Why did he add that in our commissioning, our calling as a church? Historically, this is what is called missions. Right? To reach the nations. Right? People groups. Not just our own community. There's a difference. I think it's very helpful to see two different words as two different things. Evangelism and missions as two different things. Right? Two separate things. Evangelism is what Jim just did. It's sharing the gospel with anyone, anywhere. And every single Christian is called to do this, to share the good news, to share the gospel, to make disciples. Missions is doing the work of an evangelist, but in a different culture. Crossing cultural boundaries to do the work of an evangelist. 
Therefore, I don't like saying, even though I know many pastors say this, and many of you have probably said this in the past, I don't personally like saying, we are all missionaries. I think that confuses the Great Commission. We are all called to evangelize, to make disciples. Some are called to missions, to be missionaries, to cross a cultural boundary for the sake of the gospel. Let me just give a definition that I think is a good definition of missions. Missions usually involves learning a language and learning a culture, not our own, for the sake of the gospel, the good news. Missions usually happens in cultures that have no church in which people are doing evangelism. Therefore, they have no access to the gospel unless we, Christians from a different culture, go and cross that cultural boundary and that language boundary and share the good news of Christ. In fact, 29% of the world has no church. 29% of the world, that's 17,000 people groups. 17,000 people groups out of all of that, 7,000 of those 17,000 people groups, that's how many people groups in the world, 7,000 of them are less than 2% evangelical. And out of that 7,000, 3,000 people groups, 3,000 ethnes have no church, have no Christians that speak their language, have no one to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. That means they will live their whole lives and never hear the name of Christ. That's 3,000 different people groups. And we're called, we've been given the commission by Jesus himself to go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's our church's calling, is to go. And I have a strong conviction as a pastor to obey this commission, to go Therefore, make disciples of all nations. So the first reason why I think you should have that same conviction and passion for the nations is because of this. It's our commission. It's the the calling Jesus has given to the church. The second reason I believe you should have a passion and and a conviction about missions is this. It's because the scriptures make it clear that God has a heart for the nations. God has a heart for the nations. You know, when I went to seminary, there's a few things that I learned as I was studying scripture intently, intensely for, for four years. There's a few things that I learned that kind of surprised me. And I think the thing that learned more than anything else that surprised me as I was going through scripture is just seeing God's heart for the nations. It's everywhere in scripture. Starting in Genesis. In fact, Starting before the fall, God commanded Adam to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God commanded Adam to spread God's image, man, across the whole earth. And even after the fall, Noah was called to do the same thing. In Genesis 9-7, it says, Be fruitful and multiply, increase on the earth. To fill the earth, in other words, with God's image. To fill the earth with God's glory. But what happened? We learned this week at VBS, right? Man refused to do that, built a city and and came together instead of filling the earth, built a tower for his own glory, for man's glory, and that's the Tower of Babel. So what did God do? Confuse man's language and spread man throughout the earth, throughout the world. He put man in separate language groups, right? Right? 
What happened in the very next verse? The Tower of Babel is Genesis 11, or very next uh, chapter. The Tower of Babel is Genesis chapter 11. What happened in the very next chapter, chapter 12? God chooses Abraham. God calls Abraham. God blesses Abraham so that he, Abraham, would be a blessing to all the families of the earth. In fact, Genesis 12 verse 2 says this, and I will make of you, that's Abraham, a great nation, that's Israel, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God has a heart for all the families, all the nations of the earth to bless them. That's why he called Abraham. It's why he blessed Abraham and Israel, that all the nations would be blessed. In fact, Abraham's promise is repeated four times in Genesis. Let me just read them. Genesis 18, 18 says this, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great nation and a great and mighty nation, that's Israel, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. In Genesis twenty two eighteen it says this, in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. In Genesis 26, verse 4, it says this, And I will multiply your offsprings as the stars of heaven and will give to your offsprings all these lands. And, and in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And finally, Genesis twenty-eight fourteen says this, In you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Remember the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Pantaita ethne, right? How do you think of all nations or all the nations is translated in Greek? In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation, it's, it's translated the same exact way. Pantaita ethne. Of all nations. And, and your offspring... All, or, and in your offspring, all the nations, again, pantai ta ethne, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Word for word, the same phrase used in the Great Commission. The Abrahamic covenant points us to the Great Commission. When Jesus added that phrase, of all nations, it was full of meaning from the Old Testament. Bless the nations. That's why I'm blessing you, Abraham. Now, just think about the history of Israel, right? Exodus, that's Genesis. Think about Exodus, the first and second kings. Those are the historical books in the Old Testament. God creates a, a great nation in number, Israel. We're seeing him pull this nation out of slavery from Egypt right now. Why is he doing this? Well, he gives them this promised land and blesses them. He puts his temple right in the middle of this nation and then gives them the law so that they would reflect God's glory to the nations. Be a light on a hill to all the nations. Think about this. Where did God put Israel? Just think of where modern Israel is. That was the promised land. Where, where did God put Israel? Right in the center of the known world. I mean, to this day, if you look at a map of the world, what is right at the center? Israel. The, the Jews or the Israelites, Israel was the crossroads of the world, right in the middle of three continents, not just three countries, right? Europe, Africa, and Asia. Anyone who traveled had to travel through Israel. And as they traveled through Israel, they would see God's glory on display. 
And at the high point of Israel with Solomon's, exactly what happened. People from all over the world traveled to see the blessings of Israel, see the wisdom of Solomon. What happened? Sin got in the way. Israel started to worship false gods. They started to look like the other nations. So what did God do? He exiled them out of the land. God's people were exiled by two different countries, Assyria and Babylon, because they wouldn't be a light to the nations. But even in exile, God commanded the Jews to bless the other nations, right? To bless Babylon, to bless Assyria, because God had a heart for those nations. I mean, think of the book of Jonah, right? God God had a heart for Assyria. Think of the book of Daniel, right? God had a heart for Babylon. Half of Daniel is actually written Aramaic, not Hebrew. Why? Because that was the language of the nations, What about the Psalms? Psalm 18. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all peoples. was the same word, synonym to, to nations. All peoples, plural. Psalm 57. I'll give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. Psalm 66. Bless our God, all peoples. Psalm 72, may may people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Psalm 86, all the nations you have made shall come and worship before you. Psalm 96, declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. Psalm 105, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Psalm 108, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. Psalm 117, praise the Lord, all nations. Exalt him, all peoples. Of course, Psalm 67, what we just read, let the nations praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. There's this emphasis in the Psalms of God's name being praised, worshiped among the nations, but that will only happen if God's name is proclaimed to the nations, if the gospel is proclaimed to the nations, what about the New Testament? Well, the gospels, Mark eleven fifteen says this. Just listen to this. Very familiar story in scripture. And they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned tables and the money changers. And he uh, of the seats of those who sold pigeons. And we not allow anyone to carry anything through through the temple. This is like the, the only time we see Jesus really mad and angry and, and overturning tables. Why is he doing that? Well, verse 17 says this, and he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written? In other words, in the Old Testament, in the law, is it not written? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Panti ta ethne, the same phrase, but you have made it a den of robbers. The temple was destroyed in AD 70 because of its corruption and its failure to be a light to all the nations. Jesus was angry overturning tables because the temple wasn't being a light to the nations. A house of prayer for all the nations to come to and interact with God. Jesus 
had a heart like his father for the nations. And that's why he says in Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel, the good news of Jesus, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. There's that word, ethne. And then, and only then, the end will come. That's why he commanded us, the church, in Matthew 28, 19, go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. We're called to evangelize to Hatchby, don't get me wrong, but we're also called to take the good news of Christ to places where no one is proclaiming the good news of Christ. What about the book of Acts? Well, I don't have time to go in there. It's getting hot, right? The whole book of Acts. Just read the book of Acts. It's a, the outworking of the Great Commission. I mean, we could just have story or a sermon after sermon after 28 chapters worth of sermons on the Great Commission, on the gospel going to the nations. But let's skip that. What about the epistles? All over the epistles. In fact, if you have your scriptures, turn to Romans 15, 20. Romans 15, 20. This great epistle, right? Some say the greatest epistle that, that Paul ever wrote. It's actually a, a missions letter to the Roman church asking for support as he goes to Spain as a missionary. Listen to what it says in Romans fifteen twenty, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul's ambition was to reach unreached people groups. People groups who have no access to the gospel, that there's no church evangelizing them in their language. Verse 22 says this, This is the reason why I have often been hindered from coming to you, but now, since I no longer have any room to work in these regions, there's churches planted everywhere now, and since I have, no, I have longed for many years to come to you, that's the church in Rome, I hope to see you, again, the church in Rome, in passing as I go to Spain. Why Spain? There's no church in Spain. I'm going to Spain to, to plant a church, the ends of the earth in that time period. Verse 24. In passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while. In other words, I'm going to the ends of the earth to plant a church where there is no church, Spain, and you're going to help me. <laughs> what is this? It's missions. It's an established church in Rome sending a person, Paul, to an unreached people group, Spain who has no access to the gospel if Paul doesn't go. In fact, think about this, right? Revelations, how does it all end? Revelation. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. It says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation. There's that word from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. Peoples, in other words, from, from every nation, tribes, peoples, and languages. 
God has a heart for the nations. Listen, you think about this. The majority of people aren't going to heaven. Right? The Bible's clear on that. The way to hell is broad. The way to heaven is narrow. But God promises, and he will make sure that there will be people from every nation, tribe, peoples, and language in heaven. Scripture is clear from Genesis to Revelation that God has a desire to be worshipped by every single ethne, people group. Every people group, every language group. Therefore, he tells the church to go. Go, therefore, and make disciples, not just into Hatchapi, but of all nations. Every portion of Scripture displays God's heart for the nations, from Genesis to Revelation. Listen, in seminary, when I started seeing this, I just saw it everywhere, and it was shocking. Therefore, we should have a biblical conviction about missions, about going, about sending. Three reasons. First, it's our commission. Second, God has a heart for the nations, and if we truly love God, we will have that same heart. Being like David, a man after God's own heart. The third reason, though, is this. God has blessed us so much. God has blessed us so much. Aren't we blessed? I mean, right now, many of you are just frustrated because it's hot. In a third world country, there's no air conditioning. The history of mankind, we are so blessed. As Americans, as Christians, let's start there. Ephesians, again, 1, 3 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I don't even know what that means. Every spiritual blessing. As Americans, we have so many resources. We are wealthy. We are free. We are wealthier and freer than any country that's ever existed in mankind, period. We are blessed. We, you know what that means? The American church, Country Oaks, right? American church has more resources than any other church in church history, period, to reach the nations. Do you think we'll be held accountable for that? Just think about air travel. And Nairn Judson, when he went to India, six months on a boat. I think he buried six of his kids. Three different wives, two of them died. But he was reaching the nations. Now we get in a plane, just fly. I mean, I was in Indonesia a few years ago. Took my whole family in comfort. Technology. We can FaceTime with our cross-cultural workers, with our missionaries overseas. The internet, modern medicine. So here's my question. What should we be doing with these blessings? that we have as a church. This is where Psalm 67 comes in. Turn back to Psalm 67. 
Psalm 67, verse 1. It's a familiar portion of Scripture to us. It's the blessing prayer that God gave to the, the priests to pray over Israel. And we pray this over our church all the time. And listen to what it says. Psalm 67, verse 1, say, May God be gracious to us and bless us. Has he not blessed us? May his face shine upon us, which is a blessing. See God's face. Why? Why bless Israel? Why this prayer in Israel? Why, why bless the church? Why are we been blessed so much? Right? Just, just so we can be blessed? No. Verse 2. That your way may be known on earth, your saving powers among all nations. God has blessed his people so that his way may be known on the earth, his saving power among all nations. That's the Old Testament. That's the foundation to the Great Commission that's been given to us. That's Genesis 12, the Abrahamic covenant. I'm going to bless you, Abraham and and Israel, that all the nations will be blessed through you. Verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. That's the Great Commission. Patata ethne, all the nations, of all nations. That's our calling. Our heart should cry out, verse 3, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And verse 4, let the nations be glad and seen for joy. You know what I find a lot of times in, in conservative circles within the church is that we have more contempt for the nations than we do wanting to go reach the nations. We look at nations like Afghanistan, North Korea, and instead of our hearts crying out, praying that the gospel would go there, we have contempt for them because they threaten our comfort. We'll have to answer to God for that attitude one day. We should want this joy of salvation in our relationship with God to spread, to spread into Hatchaby for sure. We're called to evangelize, don't get me wrong. But also to spread to the peoples that have no access to the gospel, have no access to the joys we have in our salvation. Again, verse 4, let the nations be glad and seen for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and, and guide the nations upon the earth. In other words, you're a good God. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the, the earth has yielded its increase, God. Our God shall bless us. Look at verse 6, because this is talking about earthly blessings there. Right? For sure, our salvation, there's spiritual blessings. And earthly blessings are just pointing us to the true blessings, which is spiritual blessings. But this is talking about an abundant harvest. Look at verse 6. The earth has yielded its increase. The psalm was, was sung and, and probably um, in worship of God during the harvest time. When Israel realized how blessed they were. It was a reflection on on, on the blessings of God. And what should we do with these blessings? Verse 7. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. We should have a heart for the nations. The psalm is a prayer 
for God's blessing so that God's glory would spread throughout the earth. It's Genesis 1, to be honest, the glory of God going throughout the earth, fill the earth. These image bearers worshiping God. That the worship of God would spread throughout the whole earth. And I just want to be clear, because I think we get too arrogant of ourselves sometimes. I want to be clear, this is going to happen. It's going to happen. It's prophesied. It's promised. It's going to happen despite what we do as a church. It's going to happen. Revelation says there will be peoples from every tribe and nation worshiping God. Every language worshiping God. Yet, God has ordained this to happen by Christians being sent from the local church to places where there is no church. It's our calling. It's why we send missionaries. Again, Paul was pleading with the church in Rome, saying we... We need to send people to places where there isn't a church. Listen to this, Romans 10, 14. How then will they, be, will they call on him who they, or, sorry, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? 3,000 people groups language groups with no access to the gospel because no one that knows the gospel speaks their language. How are they going to believe if they don't hear? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Then verse 15, how are they to preach unless they are sent? That's our calling as a church. It's to send the gospel, to send people, to proclaim the gospel, to preach the gospel where it isn't. And as it, or as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. We are commanded as a church to reach the nations. That's our commission. Verse 19 of the Great Commission says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. But listen, it's also our privilege. It's our privilege to be a part of this. When you get to heaven and you meet God face to face and he asks you, What did you do with your resources? It'll be a privilege to say, I gave it for, the, for the, the gospel to reach the nations. I did everything I could so that the gospels would reach the nations. Look what it says. It says this in Romans. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. If you feel the calling to go, not all of us are called to go. If you feel the calling to go, let me encourage you. It is a privilege and a blessing to go. It's hard. It's, there's suffering how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It's a privilege. Not all of us are called to be missionaries like Paul, like to go. Paul needed supporters, though. That's why he wrote the, the book of Revelations, or the letter to, um, not Revelations, of Romans and to the Church of Rome. He's telling them to support me as I go. Romans ten fifteen again. How are they, the missionaries, to preach unless they are sent? Established churches sending those to go and preach. If you're not called to go like missionary go, you definitely are called to send and send well. I have a conviction as a pastor to send and to send well. To lead us as a church to send people across the world and to send them well. And there's three reasons. The first one is this. It's our commission. It's our commission given by Jesus. 
Second one is this. God has a heart for the nations. Therefore, we should have that same heart. The third one is this. We are so blessed. We are so blessed. Psalm 67, verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. I went in with this, and I'll be quick. What can I do to be a good sinner? I want to give some application. What can I do to be a good sinner? I just have four things. There's more than four things, but again, we'd be here all day if I just would go on missions. So we'll we'll limit it to four things. There's four things I think you can do right now to be a good sinner. If you're not called to go, you should be a good sinner. The first thing you can do is just understand our church. If you're part of Country Oaks, understand our church's convictions about missions. Let me just give you a few things that you can learn just right now. We call missionaries, I hope you figure this out by now. If you're new, maybe you haven't. We call our missionaries cross-cultural workers. We actually try to stay away from that word missionaries and missions, and there's a reason. The word missions and missionaries is actually a very dangerous word for many of our missionaries. So we just call them cross-cultural workers, and we're trying to get rid of that vocabulary, missions and missionary, out of... um, out of Country Oaks. And I think we've done a good job. I've used missions a lot because there's a lot of people that have never heard that before. When we say cross-cultural workers, we mean missionaries. When we say cross-cultural work, we mean missions. So just understand that. Another thing is we as Country Oaks are laser-focused on reaching those that have no access to the gospel. The 3,000 that have no access to the gospel, here's why. There's less than, less than 3% of all missionaries All cross-cultural workers, less than 3% are sent to the unreached. 97% are sent to places that already have a church that are doing evangelisms in their country. Less than 3% are sent to places where are unreached. You know why that is? It's because that last 3% or that last uh, 3,000 people groups are extremely hard people groups to go to. North Korea is not easy. Indonesia is not easy. Afghanistan's not easy. Only 3% of all missionaries are sent to places like that where there is absolutely no gospel. Less than 1% of all money given to missions, less than 1% is used to reach the unreached. And so we as a church said that's our focus. We're going to focus on those 3,000 people groups and, and just say no to other things, not that they're bad. We want to train our missionaries well. It's another thing we want to do here at Country Oaks. And not just well, but extremely well. And there's two reasons for that. First, the clarity of the gospel. We want to make sure when when our missionaries are proclaiming the gospel that they are proclaiming the gospel and not something else. A second reason is to prepare them for the task that awaits them. I just want you to to know what a a cross-cultural worker is expected to do to reach these 3,000, one of these 3,000. Typically, they have to learn a trade language, so they have to learn a language just to learn a heart language, meaning they have to learn a language to learn a language. That means two different languages. Then they have to learn a culture. They have to live in that culture. They have to evangelize people, possibly translate the Bible into that language, that heart language, because there's no translation in that heart language. Plant a church, walk alongside that church until it's healthy and self-reproducing. In other words, they're sending out evangelists to evangelize their community and and we can back off now because they're doing it themselves all the time they're doing this 
All the, 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 the meanwhile, they have to be maintaining a legitimate business to stay in that country. These countries don't want just missionaries. They want people that are, are, are bringing wealth and business to their country. That's going to take at least 20 to 25 years, if not longer, of a person's life. Most mission organizations give you two weeks of training to do that. COBC, we give two years worth of training before you get sent. That's our goal. So the first thing you can do is understand our church's conviction and the task of a a cross-cultural worker. The second thing you can do is read good books on missions. Let the nations be glad. That would be my first recommendation by Piper. There's a nine marks book just called Missions. It's a really good book. It's a little bit smaller. It's an easy read. When Helping Hurts, it's a really good book to understand what's going on in the the cross-cultural work that's going around right now. But maybe a, a biography of missionaries. My favorite is To the Golden Shore by The, li- uh, the Life of Adoniram Jetson. An amazing book. encourage you to read it. The third thing you can do is just get involved at Country Oaks. Get involved and give. VBS last week. I just want to think about this. If you worked and helped out at VBS, if you taught or just helped it go, some of those that you are teaching probably are future cross-cultural workers. Sunday school, Awana, student ministries, just be a faithful church member, and that's huge. And give. Give. Last year, we gave around $100,000 to missions. I'd like to see that grow. The fourth thing you can do Let's get to know our cross-cultural workers, especially what we call our big three. We have three that we have sent. There's a difference between support and sent. There's three that we have sent. Jonathan and Liesel, Jimmy and Emily, Austin and Heather. I can't say more than that because they're in places that are dangerous for them. We can't throw this out on the Internet. If you want more information about them, find me, find uh, Mike Owens or one of the elders, and we'd be able to point you the right direction. Sign up for their newsletters. Read them. Know what's going on in their lives. And fifth, and this is why it's important to read their newsletters, and this is the most important, pray for them. Pray for our cross-cultural workers. That's, you know, that's the most, what we get more than anything else from our cross-cultural workers. They, they don't ask for money. They don't, they just say, could you just pray for us? The task that they are doing is impossible. But all things are possible with God. And that's why they're there. So pray for them. Let me just end with Psalm 67 verse 1 again it says this may god be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us let the that let or that your way may be known on earth your saving power among all nations let's pray dear father god that's our prayer Lord, that the nations would worship you, that the nations would praise you, that there would be churches planted in these 3,000 people groups. Lord, I know we can't reach them all as a church, but I pray that we can reach a couple of them. That there would be people listening to the sermon right now, young men and women that have, have a conviction now, Lord, that, that have the Holy Spirit pulling on their heart to go. To go, and we, everyone else that, that may not be called to go, would, would support them well and send them well that we as a church would keep our cross-cultural workers accountable to the task, Lord, of proclaiming the gospel clearly, of planning a church and being walking alongside that church until that church is doing evangelism in their people group, in their language. 
That's our prayer, Lord. God, help us as a church, Country Oaks, Lord, to have a passion for cross-cultural work, Lord. Be with us in your son's name. Amen.